0: New from TVArchive.ca, it's Teleretro, celebrating all original Canadian television hits from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Original hits and original
1: stars, it's Teleretro.
2: Thanks, Bob. Welcome to the first episode of Teleretro. I'm Patrick, your host, along with our guest co-host, Jackson Davies of the Beachcombers.
3: You know what? After... Listening to your introduction, I felt like running out and getting a patty stacker. <laughs>
2: our announcer for the show is Bob Washington. He was the original voice of the classic KTEL commercials. And when I was out in uh, Vancouver area for the Beach Combers Union, I had a chance to sit down with him and re recorded that bit. So that was very fun. So thanks for taking part in our first show. This is the first episode? This is the first one, and you're a part of it. This is history. Now that's great. Now this is exciting. So who, who we got up first now? Well, being a podcast about past Canadian television, I thought it'd be fitting to start the show off with an interview with Barry Gordon, who is believed to be the first Canadian working in television. As you'll hear, he had quite an amazing career.
4: Well, if you want to go back in history, I mean, I'm a relic. I'm told I was the first Canadian working in TV. I was attending UCLA, taking a pharmacy course and being in the heart of entertainment land and television being new and had come out. I thought, hey, I'd like to learn some TV. And there was only two schools in the U.S. One was in Columbia University and the other at NYU in New York. So I went over to NYU. I was with WPIX in New York in 1951, and that's when they were building CBC Studios. And then from New York, I went across to uh, L.A. with CBS TV. And the only reason I came back to Canada See, when I was in New York, I was going to New York University taking a um, television course and uh, part of the course was at WPIX and they offered me a full-time job. And then I went over to CBS in in LA and somehow somebody told Immigration I was working and I was only there on a student's visa, so they said, hello.
2: (laughs) When did you come back to Canada?
4: CHCH was 54 to 56. I was with them for about four months before they went on the air because they were still building. I can even recall helping engineers crawl under the building with cables and soldering joints and things. The first program that went on the air was the uh, symphony orchestra on their opening night. They had a symphony orchestra. And uh, I was on camera for one of the shots, for the opening shot where I started on the piano and pulled back from there into a total wide shot of the whole group. I then went to CFRN in Edmonton where I set up a commercial production department. That was 50, late 56, 57. Then from there, 57 to 60, I went to CHCT in Calgary as production manager. And that's where we won a lot of awards. But back then, the Liberty Magazine were giving out awards.
2: Any notable programs that stand out from back then?
4: We ran the first team program in Canada. It was uh, in competition with um, American Stand. Yeah, and we ran at Team Time, and that was the first uh, similar show in Canada. And then we had the first late-night talk show in Canada called Nightbeat. And where did you go to after Calgary? And I went back to Winnipeg then for sixty sixty one as executive producer with CJAY, the second station in Winnipeg. I had mentioned to Stu McPherson, who was the program manager then, I said, Stu, I've worked in American television, i worked in Canadian, I'd sure like to learn British TV. So he said, you serious? I said, yeah. So he made a call to of his in England, who was the program controller for Rediffusion, and he said, "Yeah, send them over; we can use them." So I left and went to England. Except the day after I got to London, there was an equity strike, so all live television was dead. And so they said, "Well, um, I'll just go down to the Mediterranean for six weeks; it'll be over." Well, after six weeks, it was still on, so I started making the rounds with uh, the Grenada TV with uh, with BBC, uh, Scottish television, and uh, I went back to Canada House one day to get some mail, and there's a telegram there from a Lord Forbes in Aberdeen, Scotland, saying, phone me tonight after 6 p.m. So I called him, and he said he had had a letter from the president of CJAY, Ralph Meisner, saying if you're looking for any help in production, here's the guy to contact and this station in Aberdeen had only been on the air for six weeks so he flew me up to Aberdeen to take a look around and uh, I said well, I'll, I'll let you know and I went back to my little bed sitter in London and here is uh, a message from BBC because I had been there for an interview and they were offering me a job as a producer on there one of their nightly programs, and Granada TV wanted me to go and see their place in Manchester, and and then I had a message called back to Scottish TV, so I went back to Scottish TV and I walked in there and they said, we've been waiting for you, and I said, wait a minute, I don't even know you. Well, they'd had a letter from Jack Davidson, who was the manager of CJAY, saying, again, look for Barry Gordon if you need anybody. So they offered me a job with their station in Glasgow. But I took the Aberdeen station job because it was the smallest station of the bunch and I thought I'd learn more TV there. And um, my job was to change the ratings. They were 37% and BBC was at 60. They were 37, yeah, BBC was 63 and after eight months just totally swung around. So I figured that my job was done and um, I had a call from Scottish TV again from Coltard who was Lord Thompson the second in command Thompson owned Scottish TV and they were getting involved in setting up TV stations in developing countries and they wanted to know if I'd go to Trinidad to set up a station so I said sure I took the job and went to Trinidad and set up Trinidad for them and Barbados and Jamaica Antigua
2: How long were you there then?
4: I was down there for seven years and trained all the staff and did all the programming and stuff like that. And after seven years down there, I thought, you know, I think I need a, a, another job or something. So, I came back to Canada and I was uh, asked if I would go into sales for MCA Universal Studios, who had an education division called Universal Education, and they were looking for a Western Canada sales manager. So. I said, sure, I'll try that, and it was based in Calgary. My territory was from Thunder Bay to Vancouver Island, and I was a one-man operation, and I was just traveling back and forth selling audiovisual materials to schools, to medical places, universities, police, things like that. After three years in Calgary, I guess they did a good job, because they transferred me to Chicago, where I ran half of the U.S. I had about 46 salesmen, I think it was, and 28 dealers. And I was on the road three weeks out of four, just traveling half the U.S. After three years there, they transferred me back to Toronto as general manager for Canada. And after another, let's see, that was 75, 79, that's when Don Brinton, who was president of CKND, called me and asked me if I was interested in getting back into TV. And that's when I went to CKND. Candy. Then I went to Toronto, where I became a sports producer for CTV Sports in Toronto, as well as managing a post-production company. And I stayed in Toronto for 15 years, and then retired out here. Well,
3: that was that was interesting, Patrick. You know, we we forget that uh, we always assume television is here. You see, I'm from a generation unlike you that, you know, I wasn't born with television. I mean, I remember our first, you know, our, our, the neighbors had a TV. We used to hope they'd invite us over. Then, you know, you know, that proverbial joke about going downtown and watching it through a store window. Well, that's what we used to do. I mean, that was, you know, the, the, the hardware store had the television and, uh, and we didn't get one, uh, uh, you know, for the, at least, you know, for four or five years after it was, uh, you know, after it was introduced, we just hear stories of it. But you know, I, I, uh, and, and the neat thing at the time that you know that that cbc was the the national carrier and and they did some interesting things they did a lot of live live theater uh, a lot of live television because they did i guess they didn't have tape in that in those particular days or uh so basically it was live television and uh it was uh, uh it was it was kind of neat a lot of arts On CBC, they did all sorts of things, and uh, and this guy is interesting, a Barry, because he bounced around a bit. You know, New York University, and then England. I mean, he had quite a career. He uh, and and that, you know, that's he mentioned a fellow by the name of Don Breton. during it and Don actually was one of the pioneers in televisions. I remember as a kid uh, at CFRN watching uh, uh, their their station he had something called popcorn Playhouse and then I think he ended up going on to become one of the heads of global television or something like that so uh, it's, it's neat how they uh, how in that particular time those pioneers uh, uh, started the business and uh, and, and became a very important part of it
2: okay now uh, one of the most popular Canadian shows on right now was Corner Gaz are you a fan of that show?
3: absolutely i'm a big fan of it and i've uh, i've worked with uh, eric uh, many years ago and and a, and a big uh, a big fan of uh, gabrielle too she's and, and fred there it's it's a great show it's uh, it's probably one of the, well, i think it's one of the best on, on television right now
2: here's a clip of the opening segment of this season's corner gas hey you ever notice how it's like the beachcombers around here
3: Yeah, if you replace the ocean with no ocean at all, the similarities are eerie.
5: No, 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 think about it. Uh, The Ruby's Molly's. So Lacey's
6: Molly? She's gonna love that. And I could be Relic. You could be the chunk of Deadwood that gets hauled off at the start.
3: You think maybe the Beachcombers was the best Canadian TV show of all time?
6: I always kind of like Street Legal. Street Legal sucked!
5: Okay, he should be Relic.
3: Yeah, I actually listened to that. I, I happened to watch it that night, and I thought it was quite uh, funny. Of course, the, big, uh, the, big, uh, the, the street legal shot was quite funny given by Eric, who was one of the stars of street legal. And, and it was neat. I actually talked to, the, uh, I talked to Brett, uh, uh, Brent Butt after that and, uh, and, the, and one of the writers, and I said, uh, weren't they worried about maybe their audience had never heard of the Beachcombers? But they, they, they had no problem with that.
2: I was able to speak with three members of Corner Gas regarding that opening segment. Here is Gabrielle Miller, Fred Iwanick, and uh, Eric Peterson. Corner Gas opened the season with a discussion about the best Canadian television show of all time. Uh-huh. Well, what personally, what is your favorite of all time?
7: My favorite Canadian television show of all time. Oh boy!
8: I don't know if I'm allowed to say both my shows. <laughs>
1: Um, oh gee, well you know, I don't know if, if, if this counts or not because it's, it wasn't you know a, a uh, right.
8: series
7: in the regular sense, but Anne of Green Gables was, okay. that's my, where my heart. And a lot
2: of other but, girls too, yeah. yeah. Are you a Beachcombers fan or is that just uh, Hank? Uh,
5: <laughs> <laughs> well Hank's definitely a Beachcombers fan. I, I, I like, Beachcombers was well before my time, like I'm not that old yet. But uh, I appreciate it for sure. I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I like the show. I think, it was, like, it, I guess it was really the first Canadian show that really sort of took off. Eh? Well, no, there's King Kensington. Was that? Before? Well, worldwide, it was
2: probably yeah, probably Beachcombers fans. for sure. So, what, what is your favorite Canadian show of all time?
5: Of all time, Hockey Night in Canada, I guess. <laughs> no, I, let, let me think about that because I do. It would be. I mean, I can't say Corner Gas because that's like that's. Like, I can't, you can't say that. I'm a big fan of Robson Arms. I'm, I'm in that too, so I can't really say that. So you, you,
2: guys, you guys focused on Littlest Hobo
5: in episode two. Oh, little, yeah, you know what? Thank you. That is. When I was a kid, I, I watched yeah. Littlest Hobo all the time, and I thought it was better than Lassie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was way better than Lassie. Better dog and, and better music and everything. Yeah, thanks. That's a good great, great, call. Great little Littlest Hobo. Was, yeah. yeah, the greatest scene. And when we did that episode, it was like bringing back all these old kind of childhood memories. It was cool. Yeah, good. Thanks
9: a
7: yeah. lot. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. I wanted to ask you about your opening line this season. What is my opening line? Street street legal sucks. Oh, street legal sucks. Isn't that wonderful, though, to have that depth? (laughs) That Uh, depth of kind of, you know, uh, cultural uh, meaning that you can actually finally... At some point in your career, refer back to another successful show you did and give it, you know, maybe give it the raspberry. No, it was delightful to be able to do that. I mean, I have nothing but great feelings for uh, street legal, but I feel it was it was like totally in character for Oscar to say that. And it was just tremendously fun. I mean, they wrote it, of course, knowing full well what that would, be, that would mean. So, no, that was, you know. And again, I'm not being entirely facetious when I say that there is some depth there now that we, we have. We can actually refer to a past here, as opposed to, you know, only ever waiting for a future, as we have in, in the industry here. So,
2: And uh, I had previously made that connection about Oscar and Relic, that you were Corner Gas's Relic. In a way, yeah, you
7: know, the grumpy old guy is, a, yeah, no. And I'm, I'm 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 absolutely honored to follow those footsteps of the relic because I certainly enjoyed, you, you know, the, all his his character. Yeah, for sure. yeah, thanks a lot. And I hope we have as long a run. <laughs> yeah, a great <laughs> I'm a part. <laughs> good, thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, you know,
3: it's great to er, Eric Peterson is you know is a class act. Uh, he, he worked here, uh, you know, great theater actor. Has done uh, you know a lot of shows. Good singer. Uh, and uh, you know, Street Legal was a good show. Uh, it was a uh, it was uh, a show that we, you know, we should be proud of in Canada. I, th- I think it was, it it was, uh, it was, and I'm, and I'm glad that, uh, obviously, that he's, he's working in another hit show. He, You know, he deserves it. And uh, it was kind of fun. And it was, he said nice things about, you know, Robert Clothier who played the relic part. And, yeah, I, I hope they run for, well, you know what, I hope they run for 18 and a half years. I really don't yeah. want <laughs> him to beat our record. But, uh, uh, you know what, it's, uh, it, he said an interesting thing where, you know, it's neat to be, able to refer to the past and uh and and that's a neat thing obviously that you're doing too i mean we all have to learn from the you know from the from our history and in, in order to know you know where we're going to stand in the future and uh you know your favorite canadian show so uh i'm trying to think of what uh what mine were i uh I certainly liked, you know, years ago, I mean, I liked Cannonball. Uh, I mean, that must have been from the, from, from the early, that must have been in the 60s, uh, which was a kind of a Canadian-US uh, co-production about these guys right, uh, driving trucks across Canada or North America. Really cool show. And I, used to like, I also liked the Pluff family because I thought that was kind of neat that, uh, that I could see what it was like in, in, a, in a living room in, uh, in Montreal as opposed to, you know, my living room in, uh, in Wetasquin, Alberta.
2: Next up, I speak to Barry Dale, who's better known to my generation as Harrigan. Harrigan played on Saturday mornings on CTV through the 70s and 80s and later was uh, rerun on YTV in the early 90s.
0: Basically, my career uh, through my life has been as a singer and a nightclub performer. And uh, I got went into television on a full-time basis. Oh, don't ask me what year again, I don't remember. But it was a few uh, years prior to Harrigan and uh... cjoh hired me and i was doing a daily lunchtime show called lunchtime we did that show it was an hour every day live live television five days a week and it was uh... it was thrilling we did comedy we did uh... interviews we did music we did uh... sketches uh... comedy sketches and uh... we had uh... all kinds of guests on we had uh... You know, I, I remember playing basketball with uh, um, of the Globetrotters and we all played basketball with him and he showed us how terrible we were.
9: <laughs> but it was,
0: it was funny. And, uh, and Chubby Checker was on. And, uh, there were all kinds of people. Whoever was in, in town at that time performing would come on the show and we would uh, talk to them. And that went on for a couple of seasons. And uh, at that time, one producer asked me if I would, uh, uh, read some stories, there was a, a, they had a syndicated, uh, children's show called sandbox. that was on very early in the morning for very, very small children. And, uh, so I went on and that's actually where the, uh, where the, uh, leprechaun was, was created. Uh, I read the stories as a leprechaun and I sang songs as a leprechaun, you know, some Irish songs and stuff like that. And, uh, we did a series of shows, and she immediately asked me to come back and do it again. And uh, we did it three or four times, so that would have been about fifteen or twenty shows. Because we did in those days, we did five shows a day. You just you just went in the studio and you did knock shows off. And uh, then after that, the uh, the station was was required to have so much Canadian content to keep it Canadian. So the uh, this, this, the, the manager of the station asked if we could put together a children's show—not really a children's show. Uh, of, uh, he wanted uh, me to do the Harrigan character, and uh, and Bill Luxton, who was this the uh, the, um, the announcer, etc. He did a lot of stuff. He had a, he had a children's show in his own Willie and Floyd, which was a local show. Uh, to put on his captain's cap and and we would sit and introduce cartoons. Well, the production manager at that time was a was a he was a terrific Irishman and he said, We can do better than that, we're not gonna tell anybody. So on the QT we put together a whole show with the magic and all that and, and Harrigan was born at that time. And that's how it was done. And when the, the station manager came and looked at it and says, What the hell is that? And he looked at it, and he just walked out of the room because he couldn't say no because the show was good. And from that point on, the show just got top ratings at at its time slot. Uh, all the time it was in Ottawa, so that's when I thought it should go syndica- into syndication. And uh, yeah, now I'm regressing a little, but that's that's the whole beginning of uh, of Harrigan. It was bro- it was broadcast locally, and then uh, yeah, they kept it a local show. And um, it was on for how many seasons? Two seasons, I believe, 70, 69, 70, or 70, and 71. And then I brought the show to, uh, or actually, Lauren Freed, who was the head of CKWS Television in Kingston. He was the head of production. I said, I I think the show should be syndicated. He said, I do, too. He said, bring it here and we'll do it. And that's exactly what happened. We brought it at that time. We went into it, and it was local uh, for about two or three years. And then it was picked up. uh, The first station was Hamilton. And after Hamilton picked it up, it just went right across the country.
2: So tell us about the format of the show then.
0: Okay, the show was uh, the opening um, then we had, um, uh, Miss Sunflower brought the, uh, mail in, uh, Deblin and I read the mail out of the pot of gold and, um, uh, let's see. We did the letter board and then we did, uh, uh, then we did reading. I think we read a story. Um, I don't know if I'm in the right order, but, uh, pretty close. We read a story and then we did usually a travel segment uh, going to a place showing how things were made and uh, um, different kind of adventures in different areas of uh, of life uh, like how to make maple syrup or how to do cheese or, or uh, 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 going swimming or you know, whatever that segment would be made of it would be, uh, you know uh, and I would do my... The Harrigan would do his silly self and, uh, you know, fall in or something. You know? um, uh, we'd have a guest. We had uh, Marilyn Yates and uh, would do uh, cooking and craft segments. But anyway, th- they were the main segments. And what what we would do is, like on the traveling segments, I we would go out and uh, film... Uh, say, two or three different segments and then put them into different shows. So we'd get in the studio and, uh, and put them together at that
2: time. Who played the parts of the other characters? The
0: Sunflower was played by uh, Joanna, my wife. She had been in show business all her life, and she, she started out as a unicyclist for many years. And so she delivered the mail on a unicycle. And Devlin was my daughter, who also played Mr. Green, the puppet,
2: any best moments that stand out to you? Oh, gee, that's very difficult. Um, most of the
0: times were so much fun. Uh, it was such a joy doing that show because uh, the guests I had on, uh, I had singers, and um, and uh, whenever any performer was in town that wanted to do it, I would be happy to have them on. And they all came on gratis. Nobody was paid on that show that came on.
2: What kind of guests are you referring to? Are these big name guests, or
0: not really? Uh, the only one was uh, I had one guest on. Uh, what was the name of the Olympic champion? Who she was sponsoring Mars Bars at the time, from Vancouver. She was a downhill champ, and I can't think of her name. Nancy Green. That's right. Nancy Green was on, and I I made a... her. <laughs> I made a remark to her, I said, what do you do to get up your energy?" And I said, You must take a Mars bar." and she said, Yes, of course. and uh, I got a letter from uh, from the government uh, they wanted to see that show, and my ha- my hand was slapped for having promoted Mars bars in Canada. You could not promote uh, an adult c- or anyone of any uh, anyone known to children could not. Do any promotions to children directly to them? It's, it's against the law. So that's why Harrigan never did any commercials. You know, you see, you see American commercials, and you see all kinds of performers and children's people. They do commercials and sell their own products and whatever they do. That's not allowed in Canada.
2: Now I can't let you go without singing the theme for us. Would you give us the pleasure?
0: Okay. The uh, the story. The story is told of a wee leprechaun came over to Canada in 1901 a Singing and dancing and looking for fun. Harigan. Now he's a young laddie that never grows old, but he's really 209, I'm told. From Ireland he came with his own pot of gold. Harry Harrigan. H A R R I G A N. You can sing along. H A R R I G A N.
4: H A R R I G A N. It's Harrigan.
0: And that's basically it. There were a few more choruses.
2: Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's
0: a pleasure. Bye now.
3: You're saying that you're saying that very well <laughs> Patrick I think maybe there's a new career for you yeah, my mic cut out. You can't hear
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: nice cover. You know, again, interesting, interesting thing about local television and uh, and how important it, it was for for Canadian television. They they would they would say, okay, you've got four hours to fill in the you know in, in the afternoon. It wasn't like those days where you could bring in you know Martha Stewart shows or something like that or Oprah or whatever. They would have to you know do their own shows, and, and I think that's the exciting part about it. I, I remember at at noon they had uh, they had noon shows where I used to go and used to show the Three Stooges. And I used to run home every day. Not that that's Canadian broadcasting. But then they would they would uh, do other shows. Again, things like Popcorn Playhouse. They had Everyone, every Canadian uh, station, every little station would have to produce their own shows. And unfortunately, they don't do regional television anymore. Uh, you know, we used to do a lot of it out here up until probably about the, uh, the 80s. Even at CBC, they let us do great variety shows at, at 12 o'clock at night. And it was just regional and if the network picked it up it could but that's where a lot of the actors and writers got they got their starts and in, uh, in, in the business so it was kind of cool he mentioned uh he mentioned chubby uh, ch- uh chubby checker uh, uh being uh, uh you know one of the what uh, I, I think someone on his uh, on his show i and and um I actually did a show, I think it was called... It was either The Rays or René Samard. We used to do a lot of variety shows out of Vancouver. And I, I I worked with Chubby Checker, too, and I'm thinking the only thing I stupid... I should have got him to sign, you know, the, the Twist LP. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with LPs, Patrick. They're those big plastic things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, I, I used to listen to LPs. I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> One of the nice things about satellite television is you get to watch a lot of the classic Canadian shows again one of the shows i just started airing again is my secret identity i had the opportunity recently uh, at this year's gemini awards to speak to two cast members of that show christopher bolton who currently uh, writes produces and stars in rentagoli and Derek mcgrath who stars in little mosque on the prairie but you uh starred in my secret identity and a show another show that that doesn't get talked about called airwaves
1: Wow. yeah what, what I'm can you getting tell? shaky. What, what can you tell me about uh, working on those two shows? Well, it was fantastic. And, and my co-stars on both those shows have all gone on to big American careers. I stayed here. No, I had a blast um, on, on both those shows. In fact, I went in for an interview in Toronto last week, uh, a TV interview, and they had My Secret Identity um, playing on all the monitors no yeah and it was broadcast not they weren't doing it as a haha <laughs> I know. anyway um yeah no it's it's fun you know I get more questions than I need to answer about Jerry O'Connell but yeah and like Airwaves is one that's, it's kind of forgotten like uh, such a good show yeah like it was such a good show um, Roberta Maxwell and Ingrid Benninger and um, the actual one of the writers and showrunners of that show went on to be my uh, teacher at the Canadian Film Centre, which sort of really kickstarted my writing career. And so, you know, well, well, everything good, happens for a reason.
2: Good luck tonight. You got thank you a lot of competition, but Lots. good luck. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about Dr. J. You're on TV again okay. now. Jay.
1: On satellite. Dr. Jeff two two yeah.
5: channels on satellite now are really? sh-
1: showing it every day. Oh, my goodness. Maybe I'll actually make some money out of it this time. You know, it's been on for a million years. i never get to see a dime. <laughs> yeah. and another one of your colleagues from that show is here tonight as well. What, Jerry O'Connell is here? Oh, no, Chris. Chris Bolton, who has that fantastic show, uh, uh Yeah, yeah. I love that show. What, what was it like working on, uh, on the My Secret Identity? My, uh, my Secret Identity was... Uh, uh, A blast because you know I turned it down about four or five times because I was really concerned about working with one kid. If he was a Hollywood brat and I'm going to be you know committed for five years, what was that going to be like? And uh, and and actually they kept thinking it was about money, so they kept saying, well we'll offer him more money more. And finally I said yes to it, you know. And uh, and they said, would you like to meet your your co-star Jerry O'Connell? Okay. And from the moment we met, we were like best friends. You know, and then we just got a, we just had a laugh the whole the whole time we did the show the whole three years yeah yeah he's doing all right he's yeah. just managing <laughs> he could go professional yeah you know. <laughs> <laughs> too late <laughs> yeah he's doing good yeah yeah thanks yeah. a lot my pleasure and now part one of
2: my interview with Derek Smith who produced Celebrity Cooks Celebrity Cooks was a half hour comedy and cooking show hosted by Bruno Jerusi okay let's start talking about Celebrity Cooks then um, sure like that that was taped live.
8: Yes, it was, yeah. There was no editing. It was live to tape in front of a studio audience. So if there was any mistakes, they were left in. Okay.
2: Uh, <laughs> any any uh, favorite celebrities that uh, guessed it on that show?
8: Eartha Kit. Eartha Kit was the most, in my opinion just the most wonderful person you'd ever want to meet. There was a lot of really nice people. A lot of people from Nashville, like Brenda Lee and and Bill uh, um oh Conway Twitty and a lot of the Nashville people were the nicest people you ever want to meet in your life. And uh you know the, 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 some of the lesser some of the sort of lesser celebrities were a pain in the butt actually. <laughs> But the, the, the really nice ones, the biggest stars um, that we had on the show were always seemed to be invariably the nicest.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah. One one specifically that I wanted to ask you about was Billy Van.
8: Billy Van. Oh, Billy's a nice guy. Yeah, unfortunately, he's passed away. Billy was a funny guy. As a matter of fact, um, when we were doing Celebrity Cooks, um, we shot it in Ottawa originally, and in the next studio, Global was taping a series called Shh, It's the News. And uh, that starred Billy Van, Jack Duffy, uh, Marilyn Duffy, and all that sort of gang. And uh, so Billy just happened to walk to the next studio and said, come on, you're on. And that was next. And Billy was multi-talented. I mean, he, did, he juggled on the show. He juggled eggs. did all kinds of things. Now, is there
2: with a, a show like that taped live? Like there might have been, must have been a lot of funny stories that stick out.
8: Well, it was. A, I don't know if you ever remember a guy, a guy by the name of Bill Walker. He was. He hosted a lot of game shows out of Hamilton, and uh, he came on the show once, and he uh, was. He and Bruno were making um, pancakes or crepes or something like that. So they had all the ingredients in the blender, and. Uh, Bruno forgot to put the top on of course he spun it up <clears throat> and he was he got a face full of eggs and and uh you know uh milk and uh flour i mean he was just covered in it and all of a sudden, I got a, control- a call from the controller man. They said, "Should we stop tape?" I said, "Absolutely not, not unless he does." And uh, it was extremely funny. I mean, and what he did is he just kind of calmly proceeded to wipe all of this off his face, and then continued on with the show.
2: That sounds hilarious.
8: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Any,
2: any other uh, things that stand out?
8: Well, there was a, there was a time uh, the comedian by the name of George Kirby, a black fella, a big black fella, you might remember back then, and. Uh, the show was going merrily along, and all of a sudden, he cut himself very, very deeply. So in the building that the studio was in, it was in an office building. There was a doctor's office, so I ran from the studio up to the doctor's office. I said, are you a nurse? And She said, yeah. I said, grab your stuff and come with me. We ran down the hall, ran into the studio. I threw her out in front of the camera on the air, and she fixed him up on the air. We had Robin Phillips, the, uh, the creative director from uh, Stratford, and he came on and he cooked boiled turkey. Well, at the end of the show, they tried to eat the turkey, and it was absolutely inedible. So they chucked it in, uh, in the garbage on the air.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one, uh, one thing that I had, like speaking of Stratford, uh, I heard that William Hutt actually boycotted from going on the show.
8: Not William Hutt. Uh, I'm trying to think. Jack Creeley. Yeah, Jack Creeley. No, 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 not Jack Creeley. Tom Kneebone. Tom Kneebone boy- boycotted.
2: Okay, and was that yeah. because of the, uh, the, the pay they were receiving?
8: Well, what we did, we had in those days, we had a fee. I think it was, I, I think it was like a hundred. It was an honorarium, basically. It wasn't a fee. It was an honorarium. It was one hundred and fifty dollars for Canadians and three fifty or three hundred dollars for Americans. The only reason being is that the Americans, most of them, had to come from L.A., so it was basically three days out of their life. Otherwise, the Canadians, we flew them in from Toronto, and it was there and back same day, right? So we adjusted the scale just to cover off expenses because we didn't pay expenses. So essentially, this was for expenses. And uh, so we gave that, you know, obviously, people are spending three days of their time. Their expenses are a little more than they're going to be if they're just in Toronto for the day. I mean, we picked up the hotel and air, but they had other expenses, of course.
2: Like, even in those days, that wasn't a lot of money,
8: really. For... Oh, no, 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 no. It was very little money. It was basically an honorarium. That's all it was. I mean, it wasn't a talent fee as such.
2: And you still managed to get a few, like, quite a few big names coming in for Oh, we did.
8: We did. I mean, for example, uh, Cleo Lane and uh, her husband and their trio uh, came on the show. And, and they were the, they were the, the most uh, gracious people. I mean, for example... Um, we didn't have a budget really for music, extra music on the show. So, uh, I mean, John Dankworth and his jazz trio agreed to play for nothing. They just brought, set up all their instruments and they did two shows for us. And it was all gratis, you know? It was out of the kindness of their heart. I mean, uh, Peter Appleyard, the guy that played the vibraphone, I mean, Peter dragged his vibes all the way from Toronto, carried them himself, set them up in the studio, and just played, because that's what he wanted to do. He didn't ask for any money or anything like that. It was, it was people just wanted to do stuff, you know? And uh, uh, there was one, <laughs> one performer who shall remain nameless, and uh, it was a female, and she was a singer. She was part of a duo back in the late 60s, early 70s. And she came on the show, and we said, you know, obviously you're a singer. I mean, will you please sing? Oh, not unless you pay me extra. So we didn't have the extra. So unfortunately, this person didn't sing.
2: How many how many shows were you
8: taping uh, back then? Uh, we, shaped, we taped three shows a night. And we would do kind of like three days a week. We'd tape a Monday, uh, Monday Wednesday, Friday sort of thing. And... Um, the, the, the marvelous thing, Ottawa was the best audience town in the world. Uh, in the middle of a blinding blizzard, people would come out and, and uh, uh, watch the show. And I've lived in Ottawa for now for the last couple of years, and I understand why. They love performing arts in this town. And uh, it was the most successful. I mean, it, 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 we had trouble getting audiences in Vancouver when we were there, but nothing like that in Ottawa. So we, as I say, in Ottawa, it was a lot of sort of snowstorms and that sort of thing. You know, we, we were very fortunate in that we, oh, I know uh, one thing that did happen. Uh, we were um, stuck once for a guest because a guest couldn't make it in because the plane couldn't land. So we asked uh, the lady who was the cook behind the scenes, and that was in Ottawa. It was a woman by the name of Helga Teilman. And uh, we said, all right, Helga. I mean, she's just a plain old lady. You know, just a person. She's not any kind of a, a personality or anything. But we said, all right, let's do a show with her. And so I sent her home. I said, go change your clothes. Come back and be prepared to do a recipe on the show. So uh, she came, and she was very gracious, and she did the show for us. But unfortunately, she picked a recipe called Father's Breakfast, which was cornflakes and peas. <laughs> it was uh, I couldn't imagine anything worse, but she was a lovely lady. She was very lovely, but the, the recipe sucked. <laughs> remember a fellow by the name of murray langston remember the unknown comedian he actually billed himself as the unknown comedian okay and he was he was he was on the gong show a lot anyway murray was a canadian and and uh, he was up doing another show wolfman jack show in the other studio in vancouver and he came on on cooks and uh i remember he started getting a little bit manic and he sort of like threw a bowl of, of mushrooms on the counter and started to whack at them with a, with, a, with a knife, right, instead of holding them and cutting them. So he was just whacking away at these things, and a few fell off the counter. Well, the props guys picked them up and threw them back, but it turned into a mushroom fight on the air and we kept it
3: yeah of course uh, you know Bruno was doing celebrity cooks when we were doing the Beachcombers and he told me a lot of uh, you know a lot, lot of fun things were, were happening on it and and and, uh, and Derek said an interesting thing too about how shows uh, the show in Ottawa was better than he thought. The show in uh, in Vancouver was. And it was because a, a lot of things were like SCTV. I think the best SCTVs were done in Edmonton. It was when you were in a location and, in fact, you just that's all you did was the show. And that's probably what uh, you know what happened in uh, in in Ottawa. Uh, uh, it, you know, and again, the a little interesting sidebar, of course, to the celebrity cooks is is uh, when Bob Crane, the guy from Hogan's Heroes, was on it. And I remember Bruno telling me about it. And then a couple of years, a couple of years ago, I saw a movie about Bob Crane, and they actually show a clip. It's not a clip; they actually redid the uh, the beachcombers. They called it rather Celebrity Cooks. They they called it Celebrity Cooks, and they had this actor who looked a bit like Bruno, someone playing Bruno. So, a uh, 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 interesting thing uh, that uh, that uh, the celebrity uh, cooks actually became part of a feature film.
2: And Bob, and they, that was part of a feature film because that was what I understand. Uh, Bob Crane's last. Appearance.
3: Yeah, it? he was uh, a, a really strange person, I guess, and uh, and uh, and, a, and a bit of a, a bit of a perv. Uh, and that was his last one of his last. Uh, and he looked a little. Uh, 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 and I can't, you know, I'm unfortunately I'm blanking on the name of the movie uh, that uh, that Bob the Bob Crane uh, story was in. But uh, uh, it was very. It was a shock to me to all of a sudden t- to see here we are, celebrity cook. So it was kind of cool.
2: You were never on that show, eh?
3: No, no. I uh, actually, they never invited me on the show, even though I was a pretty good cook. Actually, Bruno, um, Bruno really enjoyed cooking. We used to go over to his uh, his place after work, and uh, and and he would he would cook. He would uh, he really enjoyed cooking. Actually, uh, um, even I think had a cookbook out. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Nancy uh, uh, his. Uh, his significant other, I, I know, after Bruno passed away, put a, a, a cookbook out. But Bruno loved food, and uh, we would go over there and uh, and and cook, and it was kind of a neat thing. I guess it's kind of a European thing to kind of sit around and cook. And but I never made the I never made the celebrity cooks, even though you know what, people still talk about it. It was a pretty popular show.
2: It was, and a lot of great big names actually. Yeah. Next episode, I'll have part two of my conversation with Derek, where we'll talk about his other program uh, called Do It for Yourself. Doc!
6: What do you reckon will come of this? Come of what? Come of what we've just seen. I reckon a hanging will come of it, that's what. Who will tell? Us? What are you talking about? Suppose an engine joke didn't hang. Why, he'd be able to kill us one way or another just as sure as we're standing here. That's just what I was thinking about. If anybody's gonna tell, let old Muff Potter do it. He's fool enough. But he don't know. That hit he got took care of that. Yeah, I guess you're right on that one. Huck, can you keep Mom? We gotta keep Mom. Looky here, Tom. Let's take an oath. That's what we gotta do. Swear to one another. Swear to keep Mom. I'm agreed. It's the best thing. Let's take an oath. All right, but you do it. I reckon you're better on these things than I am. Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn swear to keep Mum about this, or they may drop dead in their tracks if they ever tell and rot. That's a good one, Tom. That sure ought to work. It has to we drop dead and rot. That was
2: a scene from Huckleberry Finn and his friends. I had the opportunity to speak to Richard Walker of Fabulous Films in the UK about the DVD release this year of that series. I started by asking him about the popularity of that series in the UK.
10: Yeah, it was very popular um, in the early 80s. I think it ran for about six years on BBC One, which was the, the main channel. Um, I think it played pretty much every, every summer. So yeah, it, it it was very popular, but then it it, it just disappeared back in um, 1986, and no one no one had seen it for for 20 years.
2: Tell me about the documentary that's included in the set. It sounds pretty interesting.
10: Uh yeah, well I, I mean I, I I was a massive fan of the show, um, and managed to track down Tom Wagner uh, in in Wiesbaden in Germany, the guy who produced the show, and I called him up. Um, and he, he was a bit reluctant, first of all, to, to license the show. He hadn't really done much with it. He licensed it to a DVD company in Germany. Uh, and it took a lot of persuasion to let him uh, let, let us put it out for him. Um, and just, just from chatting to him, I, I realized there was going to be quite a bit of a story about um, about the actual production of, because most people in the UK thought it was, a, a, it was an American program, and everybody was, in, they were all American actors, and when we and uh, no, it was actually a German-Canadian co-production shot in Vancouver, um, and that most of the cast was still about and willing and able, um, then we thought we might as well go and track them down. So I got on the internet and managed to track down Ian Tracy, who played uh, Huck Finn, Blue Mankuma, who played the, the, the enslaved Jim, Sammy Schneiders, who played Tom Sawyer, and we also managed to track down Alex Dyken, the guy who played Injun Joe. Um, there was a few others who, who were willing and able to do it, but we just didn't have the time. And I, I, I jumped on a plane in December um, after I'd been to see Tom in, in Wiesbaden in Germany. I met up with, with everybody in Vancouver and then flew over to Toronto to meet Sammy Schneiders and just shot everything in a couple of days.
2: Is this set then only available in PAL format? It's
10: uh, It's been released in Germany. as a PAL German-speaking one. We've released it as a PAL region 2. Uh, Tom has just done a deal with a company called Panvision for the northern European countries. So, again, that's going to be a PAL. I don't know what region they are up there. I think that might be 2 as well, but it's going to be in, in um, I think, Swedish or Danish, whatever they dubbed it into. And I think it's probably going to get released in Holland fairly soon as well. Um, we're trying to, trying to orchestrate a, a U.S. release at the moment through our label, but Tom's just looking into all the union implications of it all.
2: So what do you recommend to uh, Canadians and Americans that can't wait for the NTSC format to be released?
10: Uh, Probably the easiest way for them to do it, and I've I've had people contact me about this, is if they buy a PAL Region 2 one from the UK, your DVD player that you've got at home, um, if you just type into Google, put in the model number, and then put in their multi-region code, Pretty much every DVD player has a thing where if you do something in a sequence, like you press play twice, then rewind, and then reset, it will cancel all the region settings on it, so you can buy DVDs from anywhere around the world. But it's a very easy thing to do. I've never done it personally, but I've, I've recommended people do that, and they've emailed me back and said, thanks. Um, yeah, their they're, 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 they're player's unlocked, so they can play anything now. So that, that's, that's probably the easiest way.
2: Where can people then buy a PAL format DVD set?
10: Uh, yeah, in the UK, you can get it on Amazon.co.uk um, it, it, the Other big online retailers in the UK, there's Play.com uh, Sendit.com Virgin Megastores uh, Amazon.co.uk is probably one of our biggest online retailers.
2: I noticed on your website you have a couple of other Canadian series available on DVD uh, Degrassi and uh, The Raccoons.
10: Yeah, we, we released The Raccoons about two weeks ago, and that's done extremely well. We're hopefully going to put out all five seasons. But, the, yeah, the first season, is it, it, it never beat. Well. It was, it, there was a few specials. The, the, I think Raccoons and the Lost Star um, and a couple of the other specials were put out on video years ago, but this is the first DVD release in the U.K. And we've got Kids Degrassi Street as well, and we've got Degrassi Junior High. I was trying to get hold of the Trailer Park Boys but um, the BBC actually picked up the rights for that and they they put the first couple of seasons out but um, he hasn't had much of a TV broadcast over here so it's a bit of a shame because that's that's a pretty funny show but you you, you generally find that um, if I'm buying the rights for a certain programme I'm just buying for the UK generally they roll Canada and the US into one Um, obviously the US is a very big market Canada's not as big so I think distributors are mainly based in the U.S. and that they'll air on um, just putting out U.S. programming. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of the Canadian stuff out like saying Kids of the Grasses come out, but I can't remember who put that out. I think it was WGBH Boston. It was a, a small label. Um, and it was Morning started the raccoons over there.
3: Yeah, you know what? Patrick, um, I auditioned for that. I didn't get the part. Now, I can't remember what part. Obviously, it wasn't uh, uh, Indian Joe, which is – talk about a – Politically correct thing. Alex dykin is uh, is certainly not First Nations. Uh, maybe he's Italian. Alex is a, is a he's a good actor. Actually, does a lot of work on. Was one of the main actors in Da Vinci's Inquest and then Blue Makuba, who is a uh, you know is a great black actor that moved up here uh, in the in the 70s from the states. A great singer, great jazz singer. And then of course Ian was in it. But it was neat that whole thing that that uh, that a series like that, that German Canadian co-production. There was a couple of them going on. Actually, Ritter's uh, Ritter's Cove was a German-Canadian co-production. Uh, they, they wanted it to be the new Beachcombers. So Beachcombers was so popular in Germany, they figured, well, why don't we bring over a German actor and write a series like Beachcombers? So they, I think, the guy was a Pilot or something in Edgemont, and they shot it up up the road from Gibson's. It wasn't as popular, obviously, as Beachcombers did, but there was always been a big uh, a big German connection. I mean, we've Beachcombers was showing in Germany in 1997. You know, seven years after it was uh, wasn't being showed in Canada. So it uh, uh, that was probably one of the interesting things on that. You know, that uh, German Canadian uh, co-production, and I think it's great. And again, a lot of people forget that when shows like like that and Beachcombers, which were shown all over the world there's I, I get emails uh and and you probably do too of course to your to your website to uh, tv archives uh, about wanting from all over the world wanting dvds of canadian shows like the beachcombers and it's uh, uh and it's because we were you know for probably a 10 or 15 year period we were all over the world i also had the
2: chance to speak to ian tracy about the dvd release as
3: well I wanted to talk to you a
2: little bit about Huckleberry Finn and his friends. Oh yeah? It uh, just came out on DVD this year. That's right, it did. And I understand you participated in a documentary uh, regarding the making of that series. Yeah, a little
9: bit of uh, behind the scenes. Uh, uh, Richard uh, Walker came, came over from England and interviewed myself and Blue Man Kuma and Alex Dykin and Sam Snyders. Put a nice package together to, to re-release for all the kids to see. Yeah.
2: Open it up to a new generation. Yeah, because that was uh, I guess almost 30 years ago yeah
9: so now all, all the kids that watch the first time their kids will get a chance to see it so. and it's
2: amazing to see like, the talent on that show these are all people that are still on television to this day yeah, definitely. There was
9: a lot of people involved that are still working. Uh, all of the people I have mentioned previously, plus uh, uh, Bernie Coulson, and, and, well, the list goes on, actually. There's quite a few crew members who were involved with that that I still see from time to time as well. So uh, it was a nice, close-knit family, and everybody kept working. It's good. Thanks a lot. Thank
3: you. You know, Ian, Ian Tracy is, uh, is not only a good actor, but he's a, real, he's a class individual, and and a gentleman. He's, you know, I've I've known God. He was like. 12 years old or something you know when he started the business uh, dream speak dream speaker i think the show was cbc did a, a a movie of the week and uh as a young child actor basically and he worked he did a, a couple beachcombers uh you know with us and you know every time you bump bump into ian he's he's you know he's a, he's a class act he will talk about and you know he struggled in the business for a while he actually worked on the crew uh, of shows to stay in the business because he didn't find it challenging uh the parts that he was getting, um, uh, you know, he obviously did the Huck, Huck Finn and his friends, uh, but a very bright guy, uh, uh and, and a gentleman, and, uh, uh, there are, there, it's interesting, you would never find a guy as high profile as him, uh, you know, he hasn't gone Hollywood on us, uh, he's still, you know, is still a genuine guy, and, um, and you know what, he's one of these guys that, uh, that you, you always hope the best for.
2: These don't get mentioned, but in that Huckleberry Finn and his friends, uh, besides the names that Ian names and that uh, Richard names, but you had Janet Wright, who's on Corner Gas. She was in that series. You had Bruce Greenwood.
3: Yeah, see, both of those guys at at that particular time, and Bruce and Janet were both on Beachcombers as well, those were the shows where those guys, uh, uh, you know, really got a chance to to continue their work in television because there wasn't a lot of film around. Well, I want to thank you, Jackson, for being my co-host today. Well, you know, thank you, Patrick. It's always fun. It's great to kind of look back at the, at the history of, uh, of, of Canadian uh, television. And, and, you know, I actually want to thank you for, you know, c- kind of uh, all the work that you've done to, to kind of keep the interest up in, in, in Canadian television and certainly the history. It's, it's a treat for me to, to be with this, uh, be with you on this.